right, all right, guys. Let's uh, let's start settling down a little bit. Also, if y'all can move in, there's some seats available. If y'all um, are sitting on the outside, scoot toward the walls. That way, it makes it easier for people to uh, come and sit down. So you guys got seats up here if y'all want to come in and not stand up the whole time. All right. So, hope you guys are excited. Um, we got Brett and Jake. Yup. And these guys um, are the campus ministers uh, for the Crossings and the Crossway Church. And uh, so I'm super excited to introduce these guys. They do what is at my heart that I did for over 20 years in Alabama before moving here and becoming an old man preacher. So, um, but I know exactly where these guys have been, and uh, I remember being their age. I'm not that much older, but um, I guess I'm old enough to to say a few things like that. But um, anyway, I love these guys a lot. I know their heart is absolutely in love with Jesus Christ. They're absolutely in love with people and want to see people come to know Christ. And they want to make sure you guys leave here equipped to go do that in a better way. So I hope that you'll open your hearts wide and your minds wide um, to hear what they have to share. Let's pray. God, thank you for uh, opportunities like this to grow. And I want to pray that you would just uh, help these guys to remember the things that they prepared. And Father, just give them the words that you want them to say. Father, even in the spurt of the moment, just put thoughts on their minds and, and ideas on their tongues that they can share that's going to bless someone, that's going to hit them just where they need to be hit. So, Father, your Holy Spirit, we ask, would move around in the hearts of the people in this room, and you would just prepare their hearts to receive the message that's going to be presented. And just do a powerful thing right now, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, like Mike said, my name is Jake, and I'm, you know, I'm on the Illinois side. Um, and I've been doing campus ministry for about 10 years or so now. And one of the things that I've just started to learn over the years, and, you know, our lesson is titled, is it? Can't hear me still. Check, check. Is where's Michael? Michael? Is this one louder? There it is. Okay. So, um, one of the things that I've learned over the years, I've been doing campus ministry for about ten years or so, um, is that college kids feel entitled. <laughs> you know, college kids come into a new realm, a new world. Uh, they leave high school and they feel like things should be different for them, not just from what they were born with. But a lot of times college students come in feeling like they're entitled to something new on campus. They're entitled to be something different or that they can have a, a new openness about themselves or the way they express themselves or the way they feel about themselves. And I just feel like the way that the culture has generated people um, over the last decade, it, it has become more of a prevalent issue. The entitlement has just honestly just shotgunned every aspect of college life, whether it be your identity and your sexuality, whether it be your feelings and social justice, whether it be, you, you know, the way that you choose to go about how you handle relationships, how you handle jobs, how you handle life, that there's just this mindset that, that students now feel like they're entitled to have this feeling because culture has indoctrinated it in them, that they've felt like that this is what they are owed or what, what is due to them. And so our topic is really kind of hitting on what culture says about entitlement but what God really says about entitlement as well. Um, you know, in, in Job 41.11, it says, No one has ever given me anything that I must pay back, because everything under the sky belongs to me. 
And I read that verse, and it's a, it's a great start to what we're going to be talking about today because there's just a reminder here that as we talk about different topics and issues that entitlement hits, it, it, it's important to remember that God, we don't owe him, he doesn't owe us anything. There's nothing that we could have done or did that he owes us anything. Now, he does, he does promise us things when we choose to be obedient to him, but at the end of the day, God's grace is God's grace. But yet, whether you're a college student, a high school student, and you're just learning of what this looks like in your life and identifying with us, or if you're a leader and you're going back to your college campuses or you're going back to your churches to figure out how to address entitlement, what we kind of decided to do today was we, we decided we we're going to look through four different lies that the culture has indoctrinated in us that we're entitled to have. And then, you know, counterculture, what the truth is in God's word in response to that lie. Because what I think it really is kind of boiled down to is it's, it's almost like college students today have just, remember when you were like a kid and like you got presents from Christmas, right? And like that certain grand, grandma or that aunt or uncle, like you loved going to their house, right? Because you knew like they gave you like the good presents, right? They gave you, they gave you, they gave you cash, right? They, they didn't give you like the weird like knitted, you know, mitts for, you know, or the, the clothes that like you never wore, the socks that were way too tall or whatever it may be, even though like tall socks are back in for guys, which is super cool because I love tall socks. Um, but you, you couldn't stand going to certain people's houses because you're like, I'm not going to get anything good from this person. But yet, whenever it comes to that one house, that grandma's house or that uncle's house that always gave you cash or always gave you Under Armour or always gave you something really that you, you loved, you know, was there ever that year that you didn't get it and you were like, what the heck is going on? <laughs> you know, like, what is going on? Like, I, I, I expected this. This is something I think that I'm owed because I'm here this year. You know, I think that that's a lot of times what happens with our college students is they look at life and they look at the culture and they say, I'm owed this. This is something that I feel like I'm owed. So what we're going to do is we're going to kind of break this down. We're going to look at a different case study for each lie and something that happened in the Bible with this certain amount of people. So Brett's going to jump in and talk about our first lie that we found in through the culture. All right, so our first lie is I'm entitled to do what I want to do. Um, and our case study that we're going to look at is, uh, is David and Bathsheba. And most of us know this story of David and Bathsheba and, and what happens in this story. Um, how David uh, sends his men away uh, to war and he's at home and he's on a rooftop and he sees this beautiful woman and he sleeps with her, gets her pregnant and uh, has his best friend come and tries to have him sleep with her to make it look like it was there. He has Uriah killed when he's sent back out to war. And, you know, there's a lot of things that happen afterwards that, uh, that David has to suffer for consequences that way. But David chose to do the things that he wanted to do. And many times in our lives, and the culture tells us, I can do whatever I want to do. But that's not the truth. And so um, I'm just going to go through a couple different areas in our lives that we see in campus ministry where many, many people, uh, both uh, men and women, uh, do things that they want to do instead of um, what's pleasing to God. And uh, one of those main areas is relationships. Um, we, uh, as TC talked about earlier with the lust of the flesh, we, we look at TikTok, we look at Instagram, we look at whatever it is that is pleasing to us and attractive to us sexually. And we start to desire those things. And that's where we seek relationships from. Um, we, we 
have this idea of, oh, this is what I want in a relationship based off what the culture tells us. So we start dating the people we want to date. We start talking to people we want to talk to. But in reality, uh, those are based off of what the culture is telling you. And, but we make those decisions and say, I'm entitled to this because I live here and I can do what I want to. Another area is free time. In our free time, we do the same thing. Um, we spend tons and tons of time and hours on TikTok or Instagram or Facebook or YouTube or whatever social media site you're on. And we watch videos or we just constantly scroll. And I'm not just talking about like, you know, some of you guys. I, I am weak in some of those areas too. I love watching cooking videos on Facebook or just constantly scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. And not to say that our, what we do in our free time is all bad, but a lot of times we take our free time and we can be lazy with it, or we can take our hobbies and we can just go do them and say, oh, I'm gonna do this because I wanna do this, instead of saying like, you know, what is, is this pleasing to God? And another area with this, and, and we're actually where we see this in the story of David and Bathsheba is we see David's free time in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1, and it says, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israel, Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. And for some reason, the author decided to mention that David stayed or was in Jerusalem twice while everybody else was out. And we see that this is unusual for a king, especially during this time. And not just for any king, David with being a warrior, this was super unusual for him. And many times as disciples and people in the church and people in the kingdom, we tend to do things during our free time that are unusual for what many disciples uh, should be doing and what the Bible says about them. Um, we do what we want to do instead of what, uh, what's pleasing to God. And uh, also during our free time, we don't really take into consideration like our role in our ministry or role in the kingdom, we can say, oh, like, it's, it's okay. Like, somebody else is going to do it. Oh, I saw this post. Oh, somebody will just take care of, like, helping the leader or, you know, whatever. When we're sitting and doing nothing at home or, like, oh, I'm just scrolling on TikTok and I saw my leader post something in the group chat, oh, I'll just respond later. And then we never do or we never go and do those things. And so we don't take advantage of our free time. And so uh, we just say, oh, I can do what I want to do during this time. Um, because the culture says, oh, yeah, that's right. You, you're entitled to do so. You live here, so you just get to do whatever you want. But in reality, that's not the case. And our truth here, like I've mentioned a couple of times, is uh, to combat this lie of being entitled to do what we want to do is to do what's pleasing to God. And Scripture calls us to do that in many different areas. And one of the first ones, um, you know, I mentioned before with, like, relationships, um, you know, uh, we talk about being pleasing to God. Well, what's, what's pleasing to God in our relationships? Well, being equally yoked is pleasing to God. Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what do righteous and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? So guys, like, where, where are you looking? You know, we talked, I just talked about how normally we look to whatever we want. But are you, sh we should be looking at what, like God's kingdom and what God says we want in a relationship. You know, are they a part of the kingdom, first of all? Many of us are like, oh, I, I see this attractive girl, and but then the question we need to ask ourselves is, first off, hold on, is she a disciple? Or is she just somebody in the world who doesn't know God at all? Secondly, like, 
are you looking, like there's so many single people in our ministries, in our campus ministries, single girls and single guys. And so it's time for us to wake up and say, all right, like, let me look at what's in front of me instead of seeking all of this stuff in the, the rest of the world. Let me stop looking at TikTok or let me stop looking at Instagram or whatever social media site you're looking at and saying, oh, this is what's attractive. And start looking at what God says is attractive. Start looking at what the Bible says. This is what is specifically needed in our relationships. Another area um, to please God in our free time is to take advantage of our free time. Guys, take advantage and seize the moment. Um, if, if you are just sitting there and you're not really doing anything beneficial, ask yourself, what can I be doing in my ministry? What can I be doing to help somebody else? Am I thinking about myself most of the time or am I thinking about other people? Ephesians chapter 5 verses 15 and 16 says, So be very careful how you live, not being like those with no understanding, but live honorably and with true wisdom, for we are living in evil times. Take full advantage of every day as you spend your life for his purposes. Um, and that's in the Passion Translation, but another translation talks about, um, uh, it says, making the most of every single time and making the most of your days. And I was reading, as I was doing some research on how to make the most of our time or you know the most of our lives. Um, I read a story about a wrestler, a college wrestler, <clears throat> and he went to you know he went to a Christian school, and uh, but his mindset was so focused on the Bible and what was pleasing to God that the only reason he started wrestling, uh, and this is this is what he wrote in his letter to his parents, is that he wanted to build muscle and build his body as a temple so that it can be better used for the kingdom. And so he said, all right, well, I have a bunch of free time. Let me go wrestle. Let me build myself up. Let me make myself better. So are you thinking about yourself during your free time? Or are you thinking about other people? Are you building yourself up? Or are you just staying stagnant and staying constant? You know, are you in your word during your free time? Are you talking about it? Are you praying? Especially for so many people. I know for me, it can be difficult to get up early and read. But I love reading at night. But there's a lot of times where my days get busy. And so I have to find time to read. Well, I find some time during my free time. Do you guys have to do that as well? I would ask yourself, am I doing what is pleasing to God or am I doing what I want to do during these times? Um, another, uh, another passage to think about when you're thinking about these things and, and asking yourself, am I doing what is pleasing to God? Am I thinking about others or am I thinking about myself? You can look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Do nothing from uh, rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. You know, guys, um, David's role in the kingdom was supposed to be to protect the kingdom. And for, you know, that's the story about David and Bathsheba. He did what he wanted to do. And so, um, you know, during his free time, he was on a roof. He was staying in the city. And he wasn't doing what was pleasing to God. But we see once Nathan comes and confronts him and rebukes him, and David says, all right, like, you're right. Let me turn my life around. That's what we're still talking about David as somebody who sought God's heart is because David changed his life and got to do some greater things afterwards. And so if you guys want to do some great things, you know, in your life, think about this stuff. Am I doing what I want to do or am I doing what's pleasing to God? Because if what you want to do is not pleasing to God, then it doesn't matter what you want to do. It only matters what we want to do uh, if it's pleasing to God. You guys made that commitment, and I'm going to pass it on to Jake as far as kind of how the feelings affect this mindset as well. Yeah, so 
you know, when you hear about just doing what you want to do and the whole story of David Bathsheba, just he was choosing to do so many things. And there's a root behind that as well. And I think that that, that second lie that we're fed through the culture is the culture tells us this lie that we're entitled to believe what feels right. We're entitled to believe what feels right. And when you look around at our culture right now, it is so feelings oriented. Everything is by our feelings. I feel that this is the way I need to do. Whether it's the way that you handle relationships, your identity, the way that, the way that social justice, these things I talked about earlier, it all comes out of our own feelings. And the culture says, listen, however you feel about whatever issue or whatever topics at hand, that's the route you should go. That's the things that you should do. And so this lie is huge for us because we feel like that we're entitled to do that because the culture has told us that that's okay. And the case study here is in Jonah. If you guys read the story of Jonah, the whole story of Jonah is so feelings driven. Everything that goes on, you see, you see what happens with Jonah and you see that he went and he was going to go to Nineveh, but everyone, you know, whenever I was a kid and I heard the story of Jonah, you know, I always thought that like Jonah didn't go to Nineveh because he was afraid, you know, that he was afraid of what the people of Nineveh were and what they could do. But when you actually read the scripture, that's not why he didn't go to Nineveh, you know, because it says in Jonah 4 very clearly, it says, it made Jonah very unhappy, and because he became angry, he prayed to the Lord, when I was still in my own country, this is what I said would happen, and that's why I ran away to Tarshish. He says right here, he says, this is why I didn't go to Nineveh. It wasn't because I was afraid, but it says, I knew that you are a God who is kind and shows mercy. You don't become angry quickly, and you have great love. I knew you would have chosen not to cause harm. So now I ask you, Lord, please kill me. It's better for me to die than to live. And so what Jonah pretty much says is, listen, I felt a certain way towards these people in Nineveh. And you are such a good God. I didn't want, the, I didn't want to go help these people because I felt a certain way towards these people. And you see instantly that it doesn't really matter what God wanted Jonah to do. Jonah had already felt a certain way towards these people. And that's why he acted the way that he did. And so many times we do the same thing. We live in a culture that's so feelings-driven that it doesn't really matter what God says to do. If we feel a certain way about something, we're going to do what we want to do. We're going to do what feels right because the culture has told us that's okay. And that's not okay. So the lie that the culture feeds us is that we're entitled to believe what feels right, but, you know, the counterculture truth here that we find in, in, in Scripture is truth number two is that my feelings can be deceitful and they can hinder God's mission. Our feelings can be so deceitful that they hinder what God is truly wanting to do in our lives. And that's what happened with Jonah. Jonah thought he had a right to feel the way he did. And if you know about the Ninevites back then, it, it's probably justified why he felt the way that he did. You know, the, the city of Nineveh was terrible. And the way that they handled, you know, people and relationships and things, they were killing people left and right. They were, they were worshiping false gods. It was just a bad place to live in. And so when Jonah's like, I feel this way about these people— that was probably justified. You know, it probably made sense why he felt that way. Yet God still had something different in store for him. He watched the way that the people repented after Jonah went to them. And he says, listen, I've changed my mind. I've changed the way I have felt about them. And so, Jonah, you need to change the way you feel about them too. And Jonah goes, no, no, no. My feelings are still valid because this is just how I feel about these things. But yet when we put ourselves and we plug ourselves in the same picture— if God would have listened to Jonah and said, all right, you, you do feel this way, so let's just destroy him. It literally says that he would have wiped out 120,000 people who were like babies, who had no idea what to believe, what was right or wrong. And if Jonah would have listened to him, it would have complete, or if God would have listened to Jonah, it would have completely destroyed 120,000 people. And we look at that and we're like, man, that's kind of selfish of Jonah. But we're very similar to Jonah. 
a lot of times. Because how many times have we honestly looked at us and we look at our lives and how many times have we done the same thing that Jonah's done? How many times have we prejudged somebody and walked by them? How many times have we felt entitled to not go and talk to somebody because we feel like that's too far for God? You know, that's, a, that's, that's probably somebody who would have lived in Nineveh back in the day. So whenever I sit at my lunch table and I see that person over there and, you know, the way that they dress or the way that they're talking or the way that they act, there's no way that God would want to save them. So I'm just not going to waste my time on somebody like that. I'm entitled to feel the way that I should feel about the lost. And so many times we plug ourselves into the same picture and we say, this is who I am. This is who I feel I should be. And those are the certain people that I don't feel like are worth it because I don't feel like God can really change them. And yet, even in the midst of what happens in Nineveh, the people changed God's feelings. Isn't that crazy? You know, so like when we look at people in the world and we're like, there's no way that that person could be saved. There's no way that that person could change. That's how I feel. Well, it doesn't really matter how you feel because people can still change God's view of them as well. Isn't that crazy to think like that? That I've never seen that in scripture before, that so many people did so many things to change their lives that God was like, you know what? Maybe I'm not going to be as hard on them as I thought I was going to be because they really do get it now. It's not our place to judge where people are going to be at. It's not our place to judge who we should and shouldn't save on our college campuses or wherever, wherever we're an influence at. It should be our place to do what God tells us to do, not what we feel like we should do. And so when you think about your feelings, I really do feel like that there's three different ways that our feelings can lead us. And the first way is just bad things in general. You know, our feelings can lead us down bad paths, bad roads, and those are very sinful things that we'll choose to do and we'll choose to put ourselves into. You know, it says in Jeremiah 17, 9, it says, the heart is deceitful above all things and is extremely sick. Who can understand it and fully know its secret motives? Your feelings are not good. <laughs> you know, like our heart is not good. The, the Bible literally hits on this time and time again that your heart is deceitful. Your heart will lead you astray. Your heart is driven towards the culture. It's driven towards the world. You were born into a world and your culture is what your heart is going to surround itself around. And if you choose to live your life based on what you've grown up knowing and what your culture has told you to do, then you're going to lead yourself down a lot of bad thoughts. But then you get this other side of this. So the first one is just that your, your feelings will lead you towards bad things. The second one, and this is kind of where I want to plan on, is that your, your, your feelings will lead you towards good things. Okay? And we're going to hit on this, you know, I'm not going to hit on it too much because we're going to be talking about this later, but... Your feelings will lead you towards good things. And what good things are, are they're biblical things without God at the center. Good things, good feelings and things that you choose to do are, are biblical, but God's not at the center of why and what you are doing. Listen to this in Romans 12 too. I love the way that he, they put this in the message. It says, so here's what I want you to do. Romans 12 2, or 12, 1 through 2. It says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday ordinary life you're sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Now listen to this part. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be a change from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you around to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. And so why I want to hit on this, guys, is I think that 
our churches and, and just disciples in general, they want to do a lot of good things. They do a lot of good things. But at the end of the day, I think a lot of times we miss the point of why we do what we do, and it becomes just a good thing and not a godly thing. And what I really want to hit on, honestly, in this area is social justice stuff. You know, guys, how many of us have become social justice warriors and we see what's going on in the world and we see that there's certain things that are wrong and we take a stance, but there's not God at the center of our stances. I see it time and time again that people, people are so quick to jump on Facebook and make a comment or a post or jump on Twitter or Instagram and make a comment about what's going on in the world and how wrong it is and how terrible it is, and yet they don't choose to put God at the center of it. They don't choose to come in with a solution. They come in with an opinion. They don't come in figuring out how to fix it. They come in figuring out how they feel about it. And so many times we look at this and we're like, I'm doing a good thing. And I'm like, yes, you are, but it's not a godly thing. It's not something that's going to change someone. It's not something that's going to help someone. It's just you choosing to do and jump in and sip the culture's Kool-Aid right now because there's an agenda going on in the world and you guys are buying into it. You guys are selling out to the world and you guys are like these immature, uncultured people that choose to listen to the culture and say, this is what I'm going to do because that's what everybody else in the culture is doing. And it's so frustrating to see time and time again that people want to use Christianity as a social justice answer when that's not why Jesus came. People want to slap this big old S on top of Jesus as he's a, a social justice superhero. But if you guys read scripture, you know that there were wrongs in the first century. You know that there were social justice issues back then, the way that the Romans treated Christians, the way that people treated people back in the day. There were still these kind of issues going on back then. And Jesus didn't come and say, hey, I'm here to fix social justice. He didn't show up as a superhero. He came to provide an out. He came to provide a, hey, this is so wrong. I'm not here to fix it all. I'm here to show you you don't have to live like that anymore. I'm here to show you that you don't have to be in that anymore. I'm here to show you that there is a different world, that there isn't social justice issues. The world you live in, the culture that you're in, there will always be social justice issues. But the world that I'm trying to provide you, this kingdom that you can't see right now, there is no social justice issues. But yet we're so feelings driven towards this. And, you know, guys, the only thing I can get you guys to understand here is that I'm not advocating against social justice by any means. I think it's a great thing for us to jump into. What I'm advocating for is that Christians remember their role in social justice, that our role is not just to be so feelings driven to sip the Kool-Aid and do what everybody else says and, and, and make a statement and make, our, make a pedestal, but to remember your role to understand that people can know that there is a different world that there is no social justice in. And that's what we're trying to get people to pull into. That's how you turn a good thing into the third piece of this, which is a godly thing. So there's bad things, there's good things, and there's godly things. And essentially, the only difference between good things and godly things is that you've chosen to remember why you do those things in the first place, and you choose to put God at the center of those things. And so, so many times we look at these issues in our lives, whether it be, like I said, social justice or the way that we date or the way that we work or the way that we just do things. And we feel entitled to do those because of how we feel. But when we choose to put God at the center of those things, it completely changes our tact and the way that we choose to go about those areas in our life. All right. So our third lie that culture tells us is that I'm entitled to receive good things without hard work. Um, you know, so many times uh, growing up, uh, you know, Jake talks about this idea of, of getting things like Christmas presents, but so many times we get things from our parents growing up uh, that, you know, we want. And so many times we're like, oh, yeah, like, I, I feel like I deserve this. Mom, I, 
I picked up my room. Well, that's your room. You know, you 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 were asked to do that. Um, you know, as a kid, but you didn't understand that. And so now, as college students and I guess uh, young adults, uh, for some of us that are a little bit older, um, that may have been born before 2000, as uh, my my college students like to call me old because I was born before 2000. So. Um, I know there's some people in here that are born way before then, but uh, they're not calling you old. They're just calling me old. But uh, so many times we, we, we think, oh, I, I deserve this. You know, I did, I did a little thing um, or I didn't do anything at all, but I should still receive, uh, receive blessings. I should still receive these good things. And so, and even more in being as disciples and being in the kingdom, we, we think, oh, I should, I should get this. You know, uh, you owe me this. I'm owed this by God. I'm you know, I, I shouldn't have to do anything like but that's wrong, you know, and, and we look at how how this happens in our lives. And, and we look at the people that do this in in our case study in the book of numbers. We look at the Israelites as they're they're on their way to Canaan, uh, the, you know, the first time. And, and we see two different we see two responses that they have. And there's multiple different responses of the Israelites in the Old Testament about uh, similar to this. But in Numbers chapter 11, we see uh, it says, then the foreign rabble who were traveling with the Israelites began to crave the good things of Egypt. And the people of Israel also began to complain. Oh, for some meat, they exclaimed. We remember the fish we used to eat for free in Egypt and all, and all the cucumbers we had, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic we wanted. But now our appetites are gone. All we see is manna. And then also in Numbers chapter 14, verses 1 through 4, it says, The whole community began weeping aloud, and they cried all night. Their voices rose in great chorus of protest um, against Moses and Aaron. If we'd only died in Egypt or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? They plotted amongst themselves Let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. And guys, so many times we, we, want, we, we feel like we should get stuff. We should feel like we should get blessings. And we even think about, oh, life was, this is what I got before I was a disciple. This is what I got before I was baptized. And it was, you know, we start to have this mindset over and over and over. And we start to, as we talked about, TC talked about, we start to lead more and more towards the world. We start to lead more and more towards culture. And, and we, our lives start to go that way. We start surrounding ourselves more with people like that. And, and we're just, because we continue to get upset about the responses that we get when we complain, when we whine and we say, oh, I, I want this. Oh, hey, like you owe me a ride. Oh, hey, like you're supposed to cover for me with food. Um, oh, like you're, uh, I'm supposed to be able to stay at your house. You know, um, like you owe me this or I'm owed this because I'm in the kingdom of God now. But in reality, guys, we're not like you're not owed any of that. Um, you know, you, you have to be putting in the work to be able to get get those things and get these blessings that, that God has, has promised us. It's not just, oh, I feel this way or I, I'm entitled to get this or I'm entitled to do this. But we have to be putting in the work. And um, so whether that's, you know, uh, some basic things before I jump into kind of how we can really move into receiving God's blessings more. Some simple things just to start with are um, getting jobs. Um, I know not everybody in, in campus ministry needs a job. Um, some of our families are a little bit more wealthy or we just don't have the time to get a job. 
Um, but many of us aren't in those situations. And so um, we just are like, oh, I don't want this job. I don't want to work at a fast food restaurant or I don't want to work at a gas station or I don't want to work you know, at the library. I want like, this specific job that like, I like uh, and I only like. And that's not the reality, guys. Like, money coming in is better than no money at all. And it's really hard to be a part of helping other people and being a part of the kingdom in a way where we can serve when you don't have money. Um, so if you're a college student and, and you feel like, oh, I just have to wait for the perfect job, that's not the case, guys. Like, you got to find something. You got to be doing something. Like, you can't just sit around and just, you know, like I talked about, waste our free time earlier and put ourselves in positions where we're not really doing a whole lot of stuff. But um, <clears throat> to, uh, to just move on um, onto how we can actually move into this truth, and, and our truth is God's previous blessings should compel us to receive future blessings and should compel us to work hard. And uh, the point, the first point I have is, is that we need to give thanks to the Lord for what he's already done in our lives. Many times we forget about this and we forget about the blessings he's given us before. And just like the Israelites, we start to complain again and we start to whine and we start to feel like we just are owed everything and we shouldn't have to put in any work. But that's not the case. Um, in Psalm 103 verses one through two, it says, uh, let all that I am praise the Lord with my whole heart. I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. I may never forget the good things he's done for me. Guys, we need to allow our hearts to be convicted of what God's done before us and how much he's brought us from, whether that's uh, an abusive past or, um, you know, abusive family or whatever it may be uh, that, that he saved you from or forgiven you maybe for on your side of things as well. Um, we, need, we need to remember that he's, he's been so gracious. He's blessed us with so much and uh, allowed us to have a, a new life that, uh, you know, we didn't have before. Um, my second point is remember the, and recommit to what God calls us to as disciples and followers of Jesus. Guys, when we, when we study the Bible with people, we cover passages like Luke 14 and Luke, not, uh, Luke 9, uh, 23. Um, Luke 9, 23 says, um, then he said to all of them, whoever wants to be my disciples must design to so deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. And this is Jesus talking to people who wanted to be his followers. Um, guys, this, this commitment that we made and this, the, this lifestyle that we were called to and we committed to of taking our cross daily and, and following Jesus is not something that uh, is, is a light commitment. You know, you made a commitment to God. You made a commitment in front of other people. And so I just really want to challenge you guys to realize that um, if, if you don't, or even just remember if you, if you don't remember, that our baptism is a retirement ceremony. You know, we don't really get to just be like, oh, like, I'm here, I'm saved, like, life's done. You know, I get to just kind of uh, scoot by on the clouds. But in reality, our baptism is, is like a... I guess the easiest way to say it is an introduction into a new job or a new life where we get these, this great pay, these great blessings, this great retirement at the end of our life and, and, and salvation and, and a family and, and forgiveness and whatever else God has really given you guys um, in your life that maybe you didn't have before. Uh, love, uh, you know, things like that. Um, we get these blessings, but for those of you that, you know, are in the workforce, you realize that you don't get to keep a job you don't get to keep the great blessings you have if you don't do your work. 
you can't just sit by and sit at your desk and like play on your phone or just do nothing for however long you're working. Like you actually have to put in the effort. You know, you have to you have to work hard to continue to receive these things, or you're gonna you're gonna lose your job. You're gonna you're gonna be kicked out of employment. And in the same way, God's gonna look at us at the end and say, I didn't I didn't know you. Um, and that's that's my biggest fear, guys. Is at the end, God God saying, oh, I don't know you. I'd rather him say, well done, good and faithful servant. You know, you put in the hard work. And so I want that to be the same for you guys. You know, I want him to respond the same way to you guys as he would, I want him to respond to me. And, you know, I'd hate to see you guys at the end and, and that's not his response to you. So I really want to challenge you guys to, to remember the commitment you made. And, you know, as TC talked about, this is going to be something that we talk about all week is if, if you're not following that commitment and your life doesn't look like that, then recommit to doing uh, what you what you said when you were baptized and what you said when you decided to follow Jesus and uh, and start doing and living a life that way. All right, and our fourth lie, uh, our final one, is that culture tells us that we're entitled to call ourselves Christians if we go to church. You know, the culture we live in now has has very much watered down what it what the call is to become a Christian, what the call is to become a disciple. You know, if you look in the world, you say, okay, what is it to, to be a Christian? It's, it's to go to church, right? It's to have your butt somewhere on a Sunday, whether you like it or not. That's, that's, your, that's, your, that's, your, that's your punch ticket into heaven one day. And our culture is just kind of watered down what's asked and what's required, and they've made it more legalistic than relational. You know, it's, it's funny because even us here at the Crossing Church, I think sometimes can get so focused on the mundane religious, you know, exercises that we do, and we think that that's enough, or we think that that's it. You know, um, it was funny. I was trying to think of a time that that I remember this happening, but you know, we we do cross chats, you know, here at the Crossing Church, where it's like a Tuesday night. It's it's our it's our evangelistic time where we bring in random people that we don't know from campus, and they get to kind of get to know who we are and things like that. So, like, sometimes we'll have, like, people that will come in that, you know, they, they've met us at, like, lunch tables. They've met a couple friends here and there. Um, but more times than not, they're coming in, they're meeting everybody for the first time uh, outside of, like, one friend who brought them. And so one time, you know, when our campus ministry moved out to Illinois, we were pretty small. So there's only four or five guys going out there. And I remember that there was this one specific time. I can't remember who it was. Uh, I don't want to embarrass anybody. But they brought them up, and they said, Hi, this is, you know, this is my, this is Jake. This is my cell leader. You know, that's how he started the conversation. And he just walks up and he goes, hey, Jake, this is so-and-so. Yeah, th this is, this is my cell leader. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this guy probably thinks we're in a cult. Like, this, he doesn't even know probably what a cell is. He probably doesn't even know, like, he just heard two different words. He heard cell, which he probably doesn't know what that means. And then he heard leader, you know. And so if I'm some random college kid that's, you know, playing sports, doing a bunch of stuff in the world, and, and I show up to this cross chat and somebody says, this is my cell leader. Like, I'm supposed to know that, right? And it becomes such, and I'm like, also your friend. <laughs> I'm your friend here as well. Uh, maybe we should start with that one, and then we'll talk about cell leader, like, after they get baptized, like, six months down the road, you know? Um, but so many times, I think sometimes we, we indoctrinate it into our culture here at the church. It's like, listen. This is what it takes to be a Christian. You need to go through the Bible studies. You need to be at cross chat. You need to be at church. You need to be at your guys or girls meeting. You need to do A, B, and C, and you're good. And culture has told us that same thing. They verified that. They said, listen, you get your butt plugged into A, B, and C, and you're fine. And that's it. 
But that's not the case. You see, culture wants us to believe that this is a physical, religious exercise that we need to continue to do to make sure that we maintain our relationship with God. But God says that's not it at all. You know, in the case study that we're going to look at here is the Pharisees. It's, you don't need to look far beyond the Pharisees to realize that they were in the same spots that a lot of us sometimes can fall into. Because the minute that we think that we're okay because we go to church or because we're part of a small group or, or we have good attendance, that's the moment that we slip in right into the same mindset that the Pharisees had. You see, the Pharisees weren't always terrible people. People, looked, people put this big black cloud on the Pharisees like that they were like not Christians, you know? But I believe very truly that there were probably Pharisees. Nicodemus was a great example that there were men who actually sought out God and they believed in what was going on and they were doing the right things more so than the world, more so than the Romans, you know, more so than, than, than the Gentiles and, and a lot of different places that were going on and trying to do certain things. The Pharisees were trying things, but they got so caught up in the religious exercises. They got so caught up in the old law and they made it so important to do the physical that they lost sight of the relational. But yet, because they were still doing the physical, they felt entitled to call themselves what they were. And Jesus comes on the scene and he says, listen, no, 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 no. You guys feel entitled to do and say what you're saying, but that's not why these are going on. You know, look at some of these verses that happen. These are, these are some of the woes, you know, you, you've heard about the woes that, that Jesus comes in and hits these, these, these Pharisees with. And listen to what he says in these. He says in Matthew 23, he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. And he says, listen, you guys are doing what's right. You're doing what I'm asking you to do. You're giving a tenth of your things. But, you know, it's kind of funny that he mentions like mint, dill, and cumin because those are just really minuscule spices. They're not, they're not that important. But what he's trying to say here is you guys have scrutinized and you guys have studied and, and minimized every little tiny piece of what you can do physically. He's not talking about money and gold and, and possessions. He's talking about the smallest, smallest little spices in your cupboard. You've taken those out and given a tenth of those tiniest little things to think that you're okay and that's not what I want you guys to understand because you've neglected the relational stuff you've neglected the justice the mercy the faithfulness those are the things that are making you hypocritical just because you go to church every single Sunday does not make you a Christian it does not give you the title or to feel entitled that you are who you are because you do those things and that's why he said these to these uh, to these Pharisees Listen to this other one. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup of the dish, but inside they're still full of greed and self-indulgence. But Pharisees first clean the inside of the cup, and then the outside will also be clean. Once again, he hits that same point. Look at the right, right after that one. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You like, you're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones and of dead and bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear as people as righteous, but on the inside, you're still full of hypocrisy and wickedness. And see, guys, we're not too far off from, from the Pharisees. We're really not. Our churches and, and the culture has told us, if you buy into what the culture tells you is a Christian, if you feel entitled to be a Christian because of what the culture has told you, you are no different than the Pharisees. We are no different than the Pharisees because we choose to do the same exact things that they did, but yet we don't, we don't know and we don't do those things and we don't understand why we should be doing those things. And that's the truth here. 
You know, the lie, you know, obviously the lie is that going to church doesn't make us a disciple. But the truth here is that God says being a disciple is not based on appearances, but it's based on lifestyle. The truth is, is that God says that being a disciple is not based on appearances, but it's, a, it's based on lifestyle. In Luke 9, 23, it says, Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. You know, he comes out and Jesus makes the statement. He says, listen, I'm not saying that those things that you're doing are wrong, but you don't understand why you're doing those things. You don't understand what it is and, and the point behind that, the heart behind the issues that you guys have. And if we could help teach our people, whether, like I said, you're a high school or a college student and you're understanding what this means or you're a leader and you're going back home to try to figure out why it is that you feel like your college ministries feel so entitled to get everything in the world, maybe you should help and make sure that you understand that they understand why they do the things that they do. Do your college students know why they go to church? Do they know why the scriptures say they should go to church? Do your, do your students know why they should tithe? Do they even tithe? You know, do they know why guys' meetings are so important? Do they understand the reasons on these things? Or do they just show up and they think that they're good because you've told them to show up and they show up and they think they're going to get all these benefits. And they call themselves Christians and they go around on campus and they show people things. But then yet you have so many people fall away from your ministries and you don't, you don't know why. I would, I'd, I'd beg to believe that a lot of it is, is probably because they don't understand what a true disciple looks like. They don't understand the heart behind what a real disciple looks like. You see, here at the Crossings Church, we go through a series of Bible studies with people. And one of the, one of the studies that we hit on is called discipleship. And we spend a whole hour or so walking through what the Bible literally says. It says in Jesus' own words, you will not be my disciple unless you are this. You will, not, you will prove to be my disciples if you are this. And the three things that we always hit on the three traits of a disciple that the Crossing Church always hits on is one that you have to obey God's word, no matter what. That's in John 8, 31. You have to obey God's word. Number two, you have to love other disciples. That's in John 13, 34. You have to love other disciples to prove you're my disciples. And then the last one is you have to bear the fruit. You have to bear fruits of the spirit, which are internally, and fruits of the flesh, which are externally. That's making other disciples. And that's John 15, 1 through 8. And so we hit on that very hard before we even call somebody a Christian in our church, before we even baptize somebody. We say, listen, this is what it looks like to be a disciple. Do you understand that? And if they're like, no, or I don't do those things, then we say, well, you're about to be held accountable to that. Are you willing to be held accountable to these traits? Because you will not be recognized as a disciple in God's eyes, but also you will have no influence in our church if you cannot understand and apply these principles to your life. And so we'll get people that get baptized, like, I understand, I understand. And they get baptized and they come up and they're like, uh, I'm missing church because I have this soccer game. I'm missing church because my family's got a barbecue. I'm missing guys meeting because I got homework. I'm missing cross chat because I got this thing going on on campus. And they start missing out on stuff. And we're like, our issue's not like, Oh, man, they're not at anything. It's they don't understand the principles of a discipleship because if they did, they would be here. And so, you know, churches target participation, but we target the heart and the root of why they're called to be that in the first place. We go back to Scripture and say, listen, dude, you're not at, you're not at church. You need to be at church or you're not a disciple. That's not how we handle things. 
you know, the, the, the people that we challenge, the people that we disciple, we say, listen, dude, you haven't been at church, man. Like, let's look at these scriptures. This is what it says about loving other disciples. Do you think your brothers and sisters in Christ feel loved by you when you never show up to anything? Do you feel like you're showing true love to other disciples when you're nowhere to be found? Do you feel like you're obeying God's word when you're sleeping with this chick? It's not the sleeping with her that makes you not a Christian. It's not obeying God's word. You know, it's two different things because some people target the sin, but they don't choose to bring God's word into it. You're not a Christian because you like the same sex. You're not a Christian because you're going out and getting drunk. And they leave it at that. But you don't bring God's word into it and say, what does God's word say about this? So do you feel like you're entitled to still call yourself a Christian based on what that says? You know, if churches handled, you know, conviction and boldness in that direction, we probably wouldn't have as much heat in the world, you know. But it's mainly the churches been like, you're going to hell. You know, like you see people with the billboards and the pin and the pinstripes or the posters up. They're like, you're going to hell if you, if you like A, B, and C, right? And that's just not the way to go about it. But so many times people feel entitled because of where they're at in the world and because of what the church has fed them. And so if you do struggle with this idea in your church that people just feel entitled because they show up but you don't see any fruit out of them, I'd go back and reevaluate honestly where they're at and if they really do understand the traits of a disciple. And so guys, just to close this out and what we're talking about with all these ideas of entitlement, going all the way back to what I talked about in Job 41, all these different things on entitlement, where you're at and what you do and what you believe, it's not based on the culture. We've got to stop listening to the culture and how the culture tells us we need to handle these things. But we need to remember that God, we don't owe him anything, but yet Jesus gave everything for us. And so we shouldn't feel entitled to have our own opinions. We shouldn't feel entitled to have our own thoughts. We shouldn't, we shouldn't feel entitled to do what we want to do. We shouldn't feel entitled that the church should give us more. Because God has already given everything that he needs, and he's given us everything that we should want. And there should be no entitlement with that. We should drop the title and we should drop what we should get out of God and say, listen, I'm here because of, I owe you things. I owe you, what do you want from me? And that's the heart of what we're trying to get at with the culture. We've got to cancel this idea of culture of what should I get and change that into the kingdom mindset of what do you need from me? Let's pray. God, I just want to thank you so much uh, just for opportunities like seeing you to have so many churches come in together and just learn what your word says, learn what... Um, the, just the idea of entitlement, God, I, I am a very entitled person. I, I so many times feel like that I'm, I'm beyond this. I'm, I'm older than this. You know, I, I've done this for too many years. It's, it's my time to relax. It's my time to have somebody else step into place. You know, I'm, I'm owed, you know, a break. I'm owed A, B, and C, God, but that's, that's so not true. God, we just have to remember what you've done for us and, and what your, what your son has done for us and change the culture of saying we're owed things to what do you need from me? What, what do I owe you? And that's our lives, Lord. Our lives aren't just for 10 years or 15 years. Our lives are our lives. It's our whole life from, from the moment we commit to you to the moment that we go underneath the ground. And God, I pray that we can remember that as we, as we fix this idea in culture and we, re, and we bring it back to what, what the kingdom says, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.